0: Welcome to the workshop, Coming Clean. My name is Eileen. I'm a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this session. Hi. Before we begin, please turn off your cell phones. This workshop is being taped. All opinions expressed by those who share are their own and not necessarily those of OA as a whole. The format for this session is a reading, two speakers, ask it basket, and sharing on the topic. A basket with paper and pencil will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have for the speakers? When I go down, I'll hook this up. The reading is from the big book, page 72. Oh, that's okay. It has a start and stop right here. Okay. Starting this? This is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. We think we have done well enough in admitting these things to ourselves. There is doubt about that. In actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. Many of us thought it necessary to go much further. We will be more reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reasons why we should do so. The best reason first. If we skip this vital step, we may not overcome overeating. Time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to themselves certain facts about their lives. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they have turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk or used again. Having persevered with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. We think the reason is that they never completed their housekeeping. They took inventory all right, but hung on to some of the worst items in stock. They only thought they had lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves. But they had not learned enough humility, fearlessness, and honesty, in the sense we find it necessary until they told someone else all their life story. Our first speaker is Mary M from Los Gatos, who will speak for 25 minutes. Mary, please welcome. Do we have a time? Someone willing to keep time? Have to watch. Hi, my name is
1: Mary. Um, I'm the recovering compulsive reader. Good morning, everyone. Um, I obsessed about when there was two speakers. Would I go first or second? I obsessed about that. Would I volunteer to go first or would I volunteer to go second? Well, God took care of that for me. The other part, are you the other speaker? Right. Okay, I'm going first. You know, things things take care of themselves. Eileen just wrote the quote that we were given that we were going to be speaking about this morning, and it's from the chapter in the big book that is labeled, Into Action. So, now we've done step one, two, and three, which are thinking kinds of steps and ways of, you know, rearranging um, how we look at the world, expressing powerlessness, you know, asking uh, for uh, that connection with the power greater than ourselves, and being willing to turn our will and our lives over to a power greater than ourselves, but when we get to step four and five, it's really into action. And I know I was told at the beginning, if you've got any difficulty with the present step that you're on, you might need to go back to the step before it and make sure you're through with that step before you move on. So if you're struggling and not really driving into the fourth step yet, you may need to back up to the third step for a while, but there's no perfect timing for anybody. A little bit about myself. I um, I came into Overeaters Anonymous in uh, the L.A. area. I live in Northern California now, and I'm really grateful for OA and I'm really grateful for Southern California OA. Um, it it de- definitely saved my life and it gave me a life. Um, when I first uh, came to the 12-step programs, it was through another 12-step program. And uh, I'm really grateful for that program, too. I listened to the speaker last night, and it really resonated with me when he said, you know, we could be limping along with a food addiction all our lives. But because we had this other addiction, and for me it was like white wine, uh, that really brought me to my knees and my bottom very quickly. But I knew that my real addiction was to food. And I would sit in 12-step meetings and I would hear that phrase, rarely have you seen a person fail who's not willing to be rigorously honest with themselves. And I would just shudder because I knew I had binged before that meeting and my pizza was warm in the oven waiting for me to get home again. And uh, so it took me a while with being in the 12 steps before I had enough courage to come to over here's an And I think it takes courage. Um, I read this phrase once, the opposite of control is courage. And I was really into control. And um, and I, I came to OA here in Southern California, and I, um, I was terrified. When I first went to meetings and I heard people speak the truth, they really were speaking the truth about their feelings and about how important food was to them, um, it was real scary for me. But I'm really grateful to this program, and I'm grateful for the 12 Steps, because for me the 12 Steps are the backbone of this program. And working the 12 Steps has changed my life if i knew how to do it better i would have done it better and i believe the opposite is true too when i know better i can do better and the fourth and fifth step are very important steps in this process um the fourth and fifth step i remember when i first read the steps i was like well thank god that's not till the fourth and fifth step because i'm in no hurry to get there um i came from a religious persuasion that had confession and it really had a ring of confession to me and in some ways it does. You know, Phil, W.R. Founder, um, originally there were six principles, not 12 steps. And one of the principles always was being able to do personal inventory so you can find out what's working in your life and what's not working in your life. It always reminds me of that famous Dr. Phil phrase. How's that working for you? It's the same idea. And he adopted um, that principle from the Oxford group into the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. So it's an inventory-taking process, and, uh, and it, I, when I first saw it, it was uh, scary to me. It was kind of like, um, well, I don't really want to know all that. I don't know about the rest of you, but I lived my life like a person who was pretending all the time. It wasn't really the way I wanted it, but I could pretend it being the way I wanted it, and I was a really good pretender. I could pretend being a student. I could pretend being a nurse. I could pretend being a wife. I could pretend being whatever you wanted me to be, but I would just... I'd shake and chair when I would come to those lonely, empty moments when I knew that you didn't really know this real person. You knew the person that I thought you wanted me to be. And, you know, whenever I had those kinds of chair moments, food was a great numbing thing. And, you know, food was food was always my buddy, it was always my pal. Um, through the use of food, I lost a relationship, I lost marriage, lost my health, lost relationship with my child. Um, I lost everything, but I didn't really care because I was still pretending. Everything was okay. And, you know, this is about some of the faulty thinking um, that uh, under the influence of food and under the influence of an addicted mind, I just really did not know another way. And in the fourth step, I get to take a look at that. And when I first did a fourth step, which was pretty typical of me, I remember once I saw the 12 steps and I sat there and I went, <laughs> what do you do after that? Why do these people keep coming back? wow that's a lot of time what a loser didn't quite get it so i remember looking at that and then when i got to the fourth step it was kind of okay well i don't know about the rest of you but i was also a self-help book guru i had the hazelton guide i had the al guide had at that time we didn't have an oa guide and we didn't have oa 12 and 12 12. first it was a the 12 then the 12 and 12. we'd have any oa literature I guess I should tell you that I came to Over Years Mountains in 1984. And uh, on July 6th, which is um, coming up, I will celebrate 25 years of abstinence in the OA program. So I'm very grateful for it. But when I first came into OA, we were very linked to alcohol that's We were with all our literature and things like that. So I bought all these self-help books because I was gonna write the perfect fourth step. So I took the route that was called Using the Seven Deadly Sins. And you're supposed to take the seven deadly sins and, like, do your inventory with it. And I did that. And I color-coded it, you know, green for <laughs> gluttony, yellow for lust, you know, and I color-coded it all in really nice highlighted little ink markers. And I remember, and I remember I was about nine months in program, and I remember going to my sponsor and this isn't exactly thorough and honest. It's colorful, it looks good, but it's not really. Why don't we wait a while? Which was really good advice. And, uh, you know, there's a lot more literature now, but I'm a real big book, basic person. And the big book gives us a very clear guideline how to write fourth step. It's in four parts. You know, you list resentment and what the cause is and how that affects. Then I go back and I look what's my part in it. It also asks us to list what our fears are and make a separate inventory of sexual issues or feelings and intimacy kinds of things. It's very simple. There are four parts. This is how you do it. And I didn't need a Hazleton guide, and I didn't need the Al-Anon guide. I just needed the principles in the big book. And it is into action. This is where I actually do something and not think about something. And in inventory thinking, uh, inventory thinking that's really good thinking, wasn't something I was used to doing because I lied so much in my own mind. I really did not know how to be honest. I didn't go out of my way to be dishonest. I just did not know. And the inventory process was very helpful. And through the inventory process, I could find out some of those areas that I needed improvement in. I have a little difficult time with the word defect because it has this kind of broken thing. And I don't think we're broken. I think we're all whole and in some ways we've adapted and developed in ways that just haven't been real helpful to us. And so I, you know, I found out, you know, my three biggest ones were pride, anger, and fear. And I have many variations of those three, all different kinds of variations. They pop up all the time. Before this morning, I'm like, I really, really, really care about how you feel about me. This is 25 years later in this program. I really, what you think of me is really way more important than maybe it should be. But, you know, it's still that pride kind of thing. And it was pride that kept me out there. I did not know what to do. I did not know how to ask for help. I don't know about the rest of you, but I am a helper. I know how to help. I have two licenses that the state of California has given me to help. (laughs) I did not know how to ask for help. And the other thing I did not know how to ask was the answer. I couldn't let you know I didn't know. I don't know about you, but I came from a family where if you didn't know, you faked it. You know, you never said you didn't know or you gave some answer. You know, and my whole education was, you just you didn't say you didn't know. You made a a mental note not to be in this situation again, you found out about it. I did not know how to say I did not know. And I would help you, and I would, oh, I was a great helper, but I could not help myself. And that goes into the pride kind of thing, too, because I couldn't, like, slow down and say, hey, wait a minute. Your life's not working. So the inventory process is one that can be very, very helpful to us. And the fifth step was terrifying to me. I don't know about you, but in my life, there was no one in my life that really knew me. I never shared myself honestly with anybody. I shared with you for this, you with that, you with that, but there was no one I ever really shared honestly with. And I don't know, except the power of my higher power, the power of God, I decided that I would do this program and I would share with my sponsor. That's the person I chose for my fifth step. I would share with this person and tell her, Everything about myself. Everything. I wasn't going to hold back anything. Part of me was, like, terrified this program wasn't going to work. The other part was it was a real leap in growth. I did not really have a close relationship with anybody. I had the kind of relationship where you exchange information and you do things, but I didn't have an emotionally intimate relationship with really anybody, even the 13 years I was married. And it, it, was, it was really scary. that I wrote down my inventory, and the thing I like about the inventory process is that it helped me separate out what I did from who I was because I had those two things mixed up. I thought what I did was who I was, and I had a lot of shame about that. I had a lot of shame about that. I had a lot of shame about my dishonesty and and not really being this person that I was pretending to be to everybody. And, and I had a lot of shame about I knew how to help you, but I didn't know how to help me. And the fifth step process helped me separate those two things out. What I did and how I behaved and how I treated people was different than who I really was. And I wouldn't be able to change that unless I was able to identify that. Mm -hmm. So it is an identification process and a separating separating out process. It wasn't a list of all my shortcomings, all the bad things I did, and whatever. You know, it has a flavor of that, but they weren't really who I am. And the truth of it is when I came to the 12-step programs, I did not know who I am, who I am. And I remember hearing someone said, you know, when you come to these programs, you're going to meet a stranger. And the stranger is going to be you. And that was really true for me. I started to meet me. And the fifth step process really helps us find out who we really are, what's important to us. And then also we can take a look at the kinds of things that we can keep improving on. I wasn't condemned. To uh, I wasn't condemned to the kinds of things I was identifying in my fourth step. It, to the rest of my life, I had a chance to make a change. And it's really important. It's the fourth step. So it's pretty foundation quality in the 12 steps. To be able to go on into the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, the rest of the steps, you really have to have a good grip of what it is that hasn't been working for you. And the quote that we had was about sharing with someone else. Now, how would I do that? I don't even... There was nobody... I, I shared with, and it, and it came back to um, the issue of trust. I really didn't trust anybody else. I didn't trust people with information about myself. I don't know about you, but in my family uh, situation, um, I was, came from a family of six kids. I felt like I was born into a crowd, but you never shared anything personal because that information would be used against you at some point in time, and you never knew when. And it was silly kinds of stuff. You know, if you said, oh, I'm really tired of this. Well, really tired of that. Or, you know, we, we sneak things. Someone was talking about candy bars. If you had a candy bar, God knows you never told anyone. You never shared. I remember when I first got married, I had a candy bar, and I was, like, eating it very covetously, and my husband goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, this is the only way I know how to eat candy bars. Just real sneaky, thank you. Leave me alone, and I'm not sharing. You know, the little candy habits you pick up growing up in my family. But the idea of telling people how I really felt, I learned, you know, very, very early, zip up, don't let people know. Because if people know, they can hurt you with it. So this idea of trusting another human being with what's going on with me was very, very foreign. And, And what would happen if I did that? So the trust issue was a leap in faith, and I believe the whole program is kind of a leap in faith. And I believe that the more pain I'm in, the more apt I am to make that leap in faith. I'm trying now to change my life a little bit, that I don't have to get in that much pain before I'm willing to let faith take over. Um, Sometimes that works well. Sometimes it takes a lot of pain to let faith take over. The feeling that I got from being able to trust another person was relief. It takes a lot of effort to carry all that information around. It takes a lot of effort to keep all those secrets. It takes a lot of effort to carry all that shame around. It gives me a lump in my throat. It takes a lot of work to do that. So in sharing that with another human being, I got a great sense of relief. And the other thing that it taught me how to do, it taught me how to connect with people. I didn't know how to connect with people. I knew how to be there. I was a high by person, but I didn't really know how to connect with people. And through the fifth step process, it taught me how to connect with another human being. And if I connect, could connect with this human being, I could connect with another human being. Now, you might say to yourself, what what does all of this have to do with eating? It has, for me, a lot to do with eating because a lot of my eating was about my inability to connect, my inability to trust, my inability to know who I was, and the inventory process helped me. Thank you. And when you can't connect with people, you end up with this lonely, empty, hole-in-your-soul kind of feeling that only other things on the outside, I found, would fill. Now, I've also found that um, in recovery that um, because I'm kind of a person who likes to take things on the outside and make me feel better on the inside, there's a lot of different ways you can do that. And uh, the other thing that I would, I used to think I would be a good person if I could perform all those things on the to-do list. Mm-hmm. And that's really part of that pride kind of thing, too. It really doesn't make any difference whether I do one or no things on a to-do list. It's having a relationship with myself and being peaceful either way. The purpose of this step is to help us know who we are, be able to come to grips with the kinds of things that aren't working for us, so that we can make our lives better. And we can live in a peaceful way, so that we don't have to use substances and things and to-do lists to make us feel better on the inside. We don't need self-soothers. Now, all of this has a very spiritual foundation. I believe that um, you know the, this whole program and the steps are built upon the spiritual foundations, are based on my ability to have that that ultimate connection with my higher power. And when I'm connected with my higher power, I have a peaceful feeling and I'm able to do things in a less struggling, less effort first effort way. Um, and and the fifth step prepares me to be able to move on to the next steps after that. I just know that for me the steps and working the steps have been the most important part of working the OA program. Um, Sometimes in the program, it's been my experience that we got distracted with a lot of other things. We got distracted with food plans. We get distracted with 90 days, at least in Northern California. We get distracted with the FSA program, the EDA program, the How program. And it's scary for me because there's a lot of focus with those programs on abstinence and food, which are important but they're like tools to get to peace of mind. I came here because I had an eating problem. I stay here because I want the peace of mind that the 12 steps bring me. So I'm I'm a little concerned when I, you know, hear all the other kinds of things that it doesn't pull back to what the basics are of this program. And all of us are here and this organization is here because of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous applied to food to help us live our lives in a way so that we're not weight and food obsessed. I thought that would never happen for me. I did not, I had no expectation that I could live my life not being weight and food obsessed. And through recovery, I've gone through a lot of different phases. In the beginning, I was absolutely rigid and very obsessed. I was into weighing, measuring, doing, figuring out where I was going, whatever, and I came to a point that that was screwing up my peace of mind also. I was now obsessed on doing it right and that wasn't the answer either but I think it's a phase you know you go through and recovery, you have to kind of learn how to play like training wheels how to do this. I did not know how to eat. I didn't know what hunger was. I didn't know amounts. I didn't know the time of day. It was there I wanted it. it. Didn't make any difference and it was kind of a training process And and, and for me being living my life without being weight and food, food obsessed is a bonus. It's a real bonus, and that's been my experience by working with Overeaters Anonymous program and working the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, with that, I'm going to stop. And uh, thank you very much for your attention. We do have the ask It basket, so if there's anything um, that you're coming to mind you want to ask us about afterwards, we'll be glad to uh, entertain your questions. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much, Mary. Um, our next speaker will be Ella from Oakland.
2: Okay.
1: Hey, Hate it's cold
3: and you can't see my adorable T-shirt, but <laughs> um, there we go. So I'm Ella, and I am from Oakland, Hi, Ella. and I'm a grateful member of Overears Anonymous, and I did come in here um, in 1982 on June 16th, and I've been abstaining for 13 and a half years, and I'm maintaining a 65-pound weight loss. So that's just that. Because I know um, it's important to know that because... Anyway, it was important for me because that's why I came in here. I came in here because I could not stop compulsively overeating. I came in here because... I was totally miserable, wretched, and um, I don't know. Some people may feel that there hasn't been that much improvement, but. (laughs) So I want to start by talking about, um, obviously we're here for the fourth and fifth steps, so I wonder how many people have actually completed one fourth step in this room? Oh, so we have some people who haven't, and uh, were some of you sent by your sponsor uh, to, uh, I don't know, find out about doing a four-step? Let's just put it this way. I'm not going to, this workshop, for me, I, you know, when I first thought about it, I thought, oh, God, you know, I don't have enough experience, strength, and hope. I better interview those people who know how to take people through the big book and who have it all worked out. And I thought, no, I, that wasn't my experience. I don't have that story. I will just have to tell you how the fourth step has worked for me. And um, let's start out with why I have to do the fourth step. Uh, it says, I don't know how many of you have read the doctor's opinion in um, the OA big book, Sometimes it helps me to change the words. And, you know, it talks about the phenomenon of craving and the phenomenon of going on binges. And it said, this is repeated over and over, and unless, I'm going to change this, unless I can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope for my recovery. And here in step four of um, the OA On page 30, it says we must change if we are to recover. So I'm here with step four because I need to change. Because if I don't change, there'll be no reason to stay abstinent. If I keep on doing the things I did, if I keep on feeling the way I felt, well, why would I, you know... Be abstaining. Why wouldn't I just go back out there and dive into a five-pound bag of M&Ms, a snack, you know? And um, so it says I have to change. And how do I change? That's the most difficult thing because I tried to change myself. You know, I w- went to a lot of therapy and... I read a lot of books, and I did a lot of spiritual practices. I came in here, you know, I knew all about it. I've been on a lot of retreats, and, you know, I was on these Buddhist retreats, and I was down there in the kitchen stealing the food. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd have these people come and tell me, but, you know, you've taken this precept not to steal, and I just look at them. Well, I could no more not steal than I could not eat. That was just a part of who I was. So in order to change, I have to become honest, or I had to become honest. I had to know what it was, and you to change. And I don't know about you, but it does talk about those of us with severe emotional and mental disorders. But many of us do recover if we have the capacity to be honest. And that's what the fourth step and the fifth step give me. They give me the capacity to be honest. So i had a wonderful sponsor at one point who said that there were three things um in dealing with any problem one was awareness two was acceptance and three was action so for me the fourth step is the awareness part and when i came in um i didn't want to do a fourth step i thought I know what's wrong with me. I've been telling you and everybody else how effed up I am, you know, for the past 25 years. I don't want to go through that. I don't have to look at that. You know, what I need to do is feel good about myself. But I was one of those people who came in here and who was not struck abstinent. Um, In fact, I gained 25 pounds my first nine months. Um, And... I was just eating nonstop and eating worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse than I had ever eaten. And I remember asking a friend of mine, you know, because I was doing all those, I was doing the things. I was going to a meeting every day. I was calling my sponsor faithfully at 745 every morning, and this was before cell phones. And I was, you know, I called in my food, then I just had to call in what I'd eaten, which for Absolutely no resemblance to what I'd called in. And um, so I was being rigorously honest. Any meeting that would allow you to give service, if you were still binging your brains out, I gave service. You know, I read the literature. So there was not, I made the phone calls. Um, I, there was no problem with those tools. There just seemed to be a problem with this food thing, you know. I just couldn't stop. So I remember asking this friend of mine, well, do you think I should do a fourth step? And she said, well, it couldn't hurt. So, <laughs> so you know, it talks here and someone else has alluded to that search for the perfect form, the perfect pen, the perfect notebook, um, you know, which format, oh, this one, oh, that one. And... You know, it it says here, it doesn't really matter what the form is. You know, we just have to do it. We just have to start. A format can, you know, was helpful. But for me, I had so much that I felt bad about. Um, I really had tremendous shame about my life and tremendous guilt about the things I'd done. So I just started with what I felt awful about and i just started writing history history everything that i felt you know everything that if i thought about it i went god ugh. um and just that you know like that alone uh was quite considerable so that was pretty much my fourth first fourth step the first fourth step was the ick factor um and um and i And it it was really, um, it was really very um, helpful. It it talked about, you know, it talks about, for me, um, honesty, the truth will set me free, is that I had to let go of that shame. And when I first thought about it, I thought, well, I don't want to drudge those things up. I don't want to feel bad about those things. But the fact is, I did feel bad about those things. Fact is that the food was covering up those bad feelings and that i was continuing to act out on those bad feelings every day without knowing it they were affecting my life so you know um i don't know if you, any of you have dealt with a house but if you get a termite you know you get a termite. oh my goodness hello okay so um you know you get a termite report on your house now before you got the termite report you didn't know that the termites were eating your foundation of your house but those termites are eating the house whether i know about it or not and getting the report isn't the bad isn't the problem the problem was the termites so my finding out about it isn't the problem because the problem's there and if i don't know it's there i can't let go of it so i had to i had to look at that And I had to see that my continuing to feel bad, my continuing to feel shame, my continuing to tell you what an awful person I was, was not taking an inventory. The fourth step is not the shame and blame department. That taking responsibility for me was saying, oh, okay, this is so, this is what I did, now what? And, um, you know, it was like in the... we we oh, I don't know how many of you, but I always ask my sponsees and I ask myself to do a food history in the first step. So in the first step, I do a food history in order to get honest about the food. And to me, in the fourth step, I did a history of meat to get honest about me. And, um, you know, I've done many, many fourth steps in the program. And I've done the big book fourth step. I've done the OA questions the how inventory questions. I've done four steps on particular areas of my life whenever I'm having a problem um, that I go back and look at the history. I've done four steps on particular defects. You know, how have I, you know, miss know-it-all, favorite one. You know, when did I start being miss know-it-all since it was my the family nickname for me. So, you know, there have been many instances. Um, definitely always Um, in intimate relationships. um, uh, Talk about the cringe factor. Um, You know, just having to write, how have I treated people? And there's some wonderful things in um, the big book here where, you know, it sort of really gives quite a lot of guidance in terms of things to look for. Um, I love this. It says, where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking and frightened. You know, I think a better question would be where hadn't I been? Selfish, dishonest, self-seeking and frightened. The same thing with, you know, sex or relationship inventory. Selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate. So I just have to look at those things in my life, those instances, and that's really, really helpful. Um, so, again, I just want to say, as long as I remained ashamed and guilty And as long as I was in bondage to my past, as long as I was a victim, I continued to act out. And, you know, and I had a lot of reasons that I said I'd acted out, you know. um, My dad committed suicide when I was 11. My mom was not a really great person. Um, My stepfather was surely not a great person. My step-siblings were really evil people, so, you know, naturally, I had these issues, and, um, and I know sometimes in the program, you know, people say the food protected me, and my character defects protected me, and they were my survival, and I don't know, because my brother doesn't have any of my character defects, and um, he has his own, but, you know, he's kind of a go-along, get-along guy, you know, like, whatever, you know, never argues, always very nice. People really get along with him easily. And, you know, for those of you who may know me, I'm not that person, Um, but he survived. So I don't know if my unskillful acts protected me and I don't know if sleeping with your husband protected me and I don't know if lying and stealing and cheating on a daily basis protected me. Um, But I have to ask myself, are they helping me today? Do I want to continue being like this today? And the answer is no. So um, I, I started writing these things, and what I found was the opposite, was that the more I looked, the less shame I felt. The more I was willing to just say, this is so, this is what I've done, and also, really, reading the stories in the big book. I don't know if any of you read those. They're helpful. You know, some people are truly notorious. I mean, I did not murder anybody. Um, so, you know, I've already had a few things going for me. <laughs> but um, So that was really, really important. Do you know how much time there is left?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've got two minutes seven.
3: Okay, great. Thank you. Um so the other so so where was I um <laughs> oh gosh, you're gonna to have to leave here and say oh we 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 really hoped we were going in, and someone would tell us that she was a murderer, and through the fourth step, you know she's been redeemed, no <laughs> okay, um. So writing all these things down, looking at them, I I'm, I'm think that, that where that brings me to is that um, when I was able to look at these flaws and begin to let go of them, then other things were able to emerge. So in a sense, almost automatically, I believe that, you know, just like by putting down the food, when I was able to put down certain behaviors, other behaviors emerged. Um, um, Someone talked about um, you, I'm sorry, I don't remember your name. Mary talked about meeting a new person. Well, when I sort of was able to let go of some of that, I found out things about myself I didn't know. I found out that kindness was important to me before I had only thought You know, kindness was kind of for stupid people, and um, that I found out that that mattered to me. I found out that I could be a loving person, but I didn't find that out until I could let go of um, these things, and the first part of letting go of them was finding out what it was. I'll touch a little bit on the fifth step. I did the fifth step, or I've done a few fifth steps, and I've always done them with my sponsor. I uh, just feel like that's helpful because they're going to be working with me on six and nine and also reminding me on a daily basis in Steps 10 uh, what it is that I'm working on uh, letting go of. And I say working on letting go. Some things have really been lifted for me, like I don't steal and I don't um, commit adultery, whatever that is, Horrible. I think they still say that. Somewhere, but uh, those are two things I don't do anymore. Um, I guess the second one I may not be given too much opportunity to do anymore, but um, I don't. I don't do those anymore. So that's actually been um, a big, a big relief. Well, I did my. For some reason, I had these sponsors who were really kind of just you know normal conservative um, housewives lived in the suburbs and I grew up in the 60s and um I was kind of uh drugs, sex, guns, um, promiscuity, bisexuality. I mean, you know, all the bets were off. And you know, there I'm reading this inventory to this lady in this little room with slipcovers and oh
2: god <laughs>
3: I just thought, I cannot believe I am doing this. What's going to happen? You know, surely I'm not going to have a sponsor by the end of this experience. And afterwards, she said, she said, dear, you're very hard on yourself. And, you know, I talked about awareness, acceptance, and action. And acceptance began with seeing the acceptance from somebody else. With seeing that this person who could not have been more different than me. Um, you know, uh at that time she was considerably older. I mean, she was old, the same age as my mother. And um she was in her sixties then. And um, you know, she'd been raised a Catholic and married at twenty. And that she said this and that she didn't have any feeling for me except compassion after everything I'd done. And, you know, it wasn't like I hadn't done a bunch of things that really uh, you would not have wanted to have been on the receiving end of my actions. And I really, truly, it turned out, did not want to be on the doing end of them. And just as I come here and I'm able to stop rationalizing why I eat and stop making excuses for it. You know, once I do the fourth step I'm able to stop rationalizing my behavior and stop making excuses for it, stop blaming it on mom. Start stop blaming it on pa. Stop blaming it on this, that and the other thing. And I think I'll just you know, it's interesting to me because the um, name of this work... I mean the slogan for this whole convention is the sunlight of the spirit and um, where that comes from is kind of interesting I think maybe you already knew but on page 66 of six of the big book um, when it's talking about resentments, it says when we harbor these feelings we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit so when I harbor feelings about my past when I cling to the past when it keeps on affecting me, that sunlight, they talk about the spirit, but I also believe it's the sunlight of my spirit and the sunlight of all of our spirits. And that sunlight is able to shine through. You know, maybe like the fourth step is just like washing your windows, you know. The dirt's there. And so I would just say um, it's been a very profound Process for me, both the fourth and the fifth step, and I usually realize that whenever there's an area in which I'm having trouble, spots or feelings or a person, that is good for me to just go back and do an inventory. And over the years, I was able to do more inventory on things that you know I'd omitted before, and it it, it's okay. It's just a start, and I guess I just have to stand here today because I don't know why I decided to come down from Oakland and, you know, stay in a hotel in Ontario, but uh, (laughs) um, I just been so moved again, moved by the pain of this disease and the pain and the suffering that all of us have in order to get here and then also in the possibility of letting go of some of that, and I also want to say for me i was not I'm not one of those people that you know I'm not a real uh, booster for the oh, the promises and you know like whatever it says at the end of the fifth step that we're on the broad highway and we're hand in hand with you know our maker um, it's a process, and I'm happy with improvement I'm truly happy, but I feel like. That my life has been saved because of this,, yeah. and I feel like um, I'm not totally afraid that the person I am is somebody totally in- unacceptable, and um I just know that when those feelings come up, then I get to do more inventory, and I'm really, really grateful that I've been given these tools and I'm infinitely grateful to the people who've taken this steps. So thank you very
0: much. Oh, thank you both Mary and Ella. We will now have 10 minutes of questions from the Ask It Basket. Could someone walk the Ask it Basket up please? Oh, there's a question. Thank you so much. Oh, and um, Ella, I need you to get you to sign this. Okay, this Ella, how many sponsors have you had?
1: Well, I've been here 27
3: years. I've had a lot of sponsors. I Had a number of people early on who just said, you know, oh, I can't, I can't deal with you. Um, you know one more phone call about what you ate yesterday and I guess you haven't taken the first step Um, but I have I have one now that has been with me for a very and I've been with for a very long time and I appreciate that she always tells the truth she's uh, just very she's a straight shooter you know and that is really helpful to me so um, you know I had to I guess it's like anything else. You know, none of us is perfect, and not everybody works for everybody, and not everybody works for everybody. Somebody might work for you at a certain time and not another. And um, I don't know exactly why the person who asked the question wanted to know the numbers, but it's been a lot, and I guess I'd just like to encourage everybody to just get a sponsor, and if it doesn't work out, get another one. <laughs>
0: What do you tell a sponsee who is afraid of sharing the fifth step with a sponsor? I guess it's your turn.
1: Well, I think I'm probably one of those people that, um, uh, how these programs work is by sharing um, how it worked for me. And so that I wasn't, if I could share with someone who's afraid to share, that I wasn't all that forthcoming and I didn't feel all that comfortable about sharing with someone who was 25 years older than I was and grew up in the Depression or something either about some of my escapades. And um, it seems to work that by, uh, you know, it's how this program works, by identification to be able to say um, to them, you know, what my experience was, was and my hesitation to sharing and what that felt like for me might be something that could support someone and make it more comfortable for them to share uh, with me. And also, I think that, um, you you know, and the big book says this, you don't necessarily have to share your fifth step with your sponsor. Um, You can find a clergy person. I know some people have gone on retreats and share their fifth steps with a total stranger on purpose because they'll never see that person again. So you're not restricted to sharing your uh, fifth step with your sponsor. I personally think it helps, because in the future, then your sponsor has a little bit of information to go by, but you're not required to share your fifth step with your sponsor. Thank you. What changes are felt
0: when you write versus when you share? the fourth step. How do you feel when you write about it, and how do you feel when you actually share it?
3: back to you, Mary. Um, Well, I feel like writing is a very, has been a very powerful tool because I'm a pretty good talker, and sometimes when when I write, I often find out things I don't already think I know, and I feel like there... It, also it was good to have a record. It's good to have it, it was good for me to have it down there. And the, the writing brought it to my attention. And that was important. And then I think the sharing for me is the humility and the willingness to just let another person know. And also that was a very big factor in letting go of shame. Because I, you know, I think it talked, uh one of these places, about how we lead a double life, and, um, you know, I was always trying to look good on the outside, I was trying to pretend it didn't matter how big I was, because I was a big, beautiful woman, and F you, if you didn't, you know, you couldn't handle it, and, um, you know, blah, 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 so what, um, and, and what, and, and But I had to let somebody else know how much I was hurting and how afraid I was and how insecure I felt. And that, I think, was very helpful. So I don't know. You know, sometimes when you ask the question, I'm not quite sure what it is. So if anybody's asked a question that I have said something about that you had something else you were hoping to hear, (coughs) maybe you want to talk about it afterwards.
0: That'd be great. After being aware of your character defects, was this a painful experience? <laughs> it, it,
2: um,
1: I think it was both a painful and a positive experience. It, um, it, 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 it's painful in the sense of really taking a look at yourself and taking a look at some of the ways I act, and some of the ways that I look at things that aren't working, and may be hurtful to me and hurtful to other people, uh, especially when you're perfect and you don't think you really have those things. Um, and then I think it's positive too because I'm, I'm relating to maybe a diagnosis. Once you know what the diagnosis, and then you get on with the treatment. If you, you may not, I may not be happy with the diagnosis, but at least I know what I've got, so I know what to do about it. So I think it has been both a painful experience in some ways, um, and I would want to defend it if you came where I came from. You'd have these problems, too. Um, And then it's positive, too, because then I, well, now I know. Now I can do something different about it. So thanks.
0: When a resentment is starting and I look for my part, I can let it go. But if I do not see my part, my resentment is much more extreme now that I gave up white flour. How do you... Do <laughs> Put that in no, it's really there. <laughs> How do you deal with the increase of feelings?
3: Well, I guess there's a couple of things um that i've been really working with in um as the resentments come up one thing that really helped me was that it seemed like in in certain ways when i started to get honest about my own character defects i had less resentment because i began to see that just as i was imperfect other people were imperfect And just as I had good things, other people had good things. I mean, let's put it this way. I was born hating my mother, as far as I know. Uh, A heavy thing to say. Um, And I had that as my identity for a very long time. I'm a person who hates her mother. And I remember after I turned about 40, I decided, well, I managed to be civil to my mother. And so i went from hatred to civility which seemed like a big step forward and i figured i'd just be in civility till death do us part and one day i got a little voice from somewhere that said to call my mother about some concern i had so i called my mother and quite shockingly my mother seemed to be a very helpful and loving person Um, and from that day forward, I loved my mother and nothing had changed except that once I loved her, I no longer, she no longer seemed to be the person who bought, who bought me. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like with these resentments, a lot of the times I have to hold up to them, up to the light. Like a lot of times I resent people for not giving me what I think they ought to give me. Like I have these friends that never call and never make plans with me. And every time I would go through this big thing, they never call me, they're not going to be my friends, I hate them. Um, and um, and then I figured, well, I had two choices. Either have them in my life, and, and that they, they don't call me and I call them, or not have them in my life. And that I then realized that I had equated them calling me with them loving me. And that... Um, That they ought to call me. And once I just said, well, well no, I'm not the most, I don't turn out to be the most important thing in their life without exception. They don't seem to call me every day and invite me to do every single thing with them. Okay, that's the story. And the resentments do keep on coming up every time I try to make a plan with them and they don't call back or they waffle. Um, But then we have a plan, and they took me out to a really nice show and to an expensive dinner on my birthday, and, and we had a wonderful time. I'm just saying this is true over and over again. I have to, when I inspect what's behind the resentment, and I don't try to let go of the resentment, you know. I don't try to say, oh, I shouldn't judge. I should be a kind, compassionate, and helpful person. No, I just say, what is fueling the resentment? And I find out that it's all these bizarre beliefs about what people ought to be doing, and they're not doing it. And, and I just keep on letting that be until it doesn't, it's not there anymore. And I don't know, this has just begun to be more helpful to me than trying to do 180 and become a better person. I just try to inspect these situations and say, wow, does this make sense? You know, and it's always I had this whole idea of how everybody ought to be treating me. And they're just not doing it. I'm probably not treating them as they wish I would treat them. That's been, I don't know. (laughs) I'm sorry, it's sort of an advantage to get older. You just start seeing that, you know, you just really, we just are human beings. And that you can go around just feeling like I'm deeply flawed or like, Well, this is the package. You know, it's like the garden has weeds in it. The cat sheds on the sofa. Uh, So many things just aren't the way, so many things just aren't great, you know, all the time. And yet it's all I have. You know, my friends are what I have and I love them. And often they don't do what I'd like them to do. So, yeah, there's more feelings, but I had some pretty rotten feelings when I was out there eating and stuffing my face. I had really rotten feelings. And now I just have some feelings that at least have the possibility of going away because I had some steps to work on them and some tools. Sorry, I really answered that question. (laughs)
0: Okay, that's all the questions we have in the Ask It basket, but are there any questions from the floor? Yes. the tape let me try and repeat your question that's all right and when working with the first steps it seems that sometimes these feelings come up out of the blue maybe in the middle of the night and they're very intense and they're very real and if you don't write them down then they go back under and you can't resurface them so how can you set the climate or set the atmosphere to be able to deal with all these repressed feelings
1: Well, you could keep a piece of paper and pencil by your bedside, that might help you. I think it's pretty uh, common and okay when you start looking at things, other things are gonna come up. When you start paying attention to things, the things around it start to surface. And um, you can uh, spend some time when you start to write your inventory. And when you write your inventory, you'll have a climate to write. But you'll also ruminate when you're doing something else and things are going to come up. And then you can write those things down. And you might have an experience later on with maybe a person who you don't presently have a resentment in, but it brings us, oh, my gosh, I remember. And then you can write that down then, too. But when we start paying attention to something, we bring a lot of energy to it. So it's going to start to surface. And I believe the mind's out to save us. If there's stuff I can't dig up, then it's not time for me to dig it up. It'll come when it's supposed to come up, and I can handle it. So this, I know it's searching and thorough, like for right now. I also have done more than one fourth step inventory, and we know things, you know, we other things come up in our life that we get to add to it, because we don't get, you know, perfect after doing a fourth and fifth step. Um, and, and and so you may have other things come up, but also some things that are way deep, deeply buried may come up after you've already done your fourth, and you can do another. And, you know, once you do it, it isn't like a final kind of thing that you've done. Um, And and it's okay. It's it's just perfectly normal. When you start paying attention to something, other stuff's going to start coming up. And I want to say one other thing about the fourth and the fifth step that uh, Ella was saying that when she was sharing that, that happens when you share your fifth step, is that um, her, her sponsor had commented that she was hard on herself. The other thing is that from your sponsor, whoever you share your step with, you can get a different perspective from yourself and get more balance. And and, and that's part of the inventory process, too, is, well, maybe I am a kind-hearted person. Maybe I am a person who is... Um, you know, intelligent, blessed, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a balance kind of thing that happens with the inventory process also. It's all not bad, 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 bad. Mm-hmm. That's where you kind of share it with someone because they can pick out the things about us that we are not even aware of or that we just kind of push aside. Yeah, I know that's okay, but look at this bad thing I did. So we get a sense of balance because I think that innately we kind of think about ourselves as flawed to begin with and we're darn lucky if we get any kind of good stuff at all and um, this process helps us know there's some good parts about us too and we can you know we can focus on the positive things that work for us as well as work on the things that we're we're trying to improve so there's kind of a balanced process and and from you're looking at things also you can find things like you know I didn't really do that one too bad you know, I, I really, really survived something probably other people couldn't have done because I've got this really good, strong character. So there's some good things that can come out of our inventory on that side of the balance sheet, too.
0: These are great questions. Anyone else? Yes. I have
2: sir. a question. And Rick, uh, I'm Rick, a uh, uh, Quantitative versus qualitative. Uh, uh, some people share that they... They, uh, they did 40 pages and it was 10 hours with their sponsor to, to share their, their fourth step. And uh, my, my, my personal judgment is it could be one page, but is there, is this, is this, how, how do you feel about that?
0: So the question was the difference between quantitative and qualitative, that he knows some people that have written 40 pages and it took 10 hours to share, and maybe his belief it might take one page, and what is um, your feeling about that? Unfortunately, it's your turn.
3: (laughs) I don't know that there's a versus. I mean, I guess um, sometimes... I just did the things that were following instructions, like there was a very, very long inventory in one of the programs I worked. I think it had 108 questions. And that was the program I was working at that time, so that was the questions I answered. For me, I think it's important to use it as a tool to get to know something about me. So it's not homework. I mean, I'm really trying to let a lot of my sponsees know that sometimes if we're just answering questions, it's like a homework assignment. It's not a homework assignment. It's um, an awareness thing. And there might be something that there is only one page on. You know, maybe it was a work situation. I guess it's just up to you what is your... It's says searching and fearless. What's searching and fearless for you at this particular time? And um, it's for us. I think that's the really important thing. It's very hard sometimes in the program. It's like, oh, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to do my fourth step. I'm going to just do what my sponsor says. But this is all for me. I'm here because I want to feel better. I'm doing this so that I can feel better, not so that I can become a good person or a better person, or a person who's done their fourth step and now gets to say, I did my fourth step. So I don't know if that helps. But I just don't think that there's any particular correlation between length or brevity and effectiveness. But probably if it was one page in your first fourth step, it might not have been too thorough, huh? Unless you're real young and have been in a convent or something <laughs> most of the
2: time... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, how do you did you somehow,
0: or did you just write volumes and spend weeks away your So, the, so the question is: Is there a standard? Because she's lived a long life and she has a lot of stuff that she's done, and and she wrote an inventory that took days to give away. And is there a standard as to what to be written? Her fear is that she won't do it as thorough as possible.
1: You know, it depends on what format you use for the fourth step. I am, as I mentioned before, a person that believes in using the format from the big book. And if you want to answer the questions in the 12 and 12 and do it that, I think your inventory might be a little bit longer. Um, If you're sticking to resentments, what feeling that causes, you know, what feeling that causes in you and what character defects does that bring up, it's a schema that's a little briefer than a, a, a narrative. There's no rules on the length of your inventory. I believe it's whatever it works for you. And um, that's something you can discuss with your sponsor. If you want to have uh, inventory that goes over several sessions and that works for you and your sponsor, fine. You know, Bill W. didn't say, okay, this is the way it is, 12 pages, no longer, 40 minutes, and you're over. You know, all of us like that kind of structure thing. But it, it's kind of it's thorough and searching. And it may take you a while to do that, and then kind of look at how you write. Is this all this information necessary to get my point across? If it is, it is. And then you can spend that t- time sharing that with your sponsor. But I sure would talk to my sponsor about. It. She may have some hints. But I kind of go by that format because it kind of makes me distill my thoughts, which can be rambling, into what's this about here. Okay. Thanks.
2: I guess I would one.
3: I think I am going to say something about that. Well, I spent an awful lot of time eating. I spent an awful lot of time eating. I took up a lot of my lifetime eating. There's no way I could do any fourth step that would even compare fractionally to the amount of time I spent eating. So, um, I've worked with sponsees to just have them write that week what they've written. And I say, maybe write 10 or 15 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, 5 minutes a day. And then we read what's come up at the end of that week. And then it's finished. So, you know, maybe not looking at this, you know, it's just like a piecemeal thing, looking at it a little bit. Like, what could I write today? For me, it was helpful, you know, like a lot of times people would say, well, you know, I wasn't nice to my little brother, um... Or my my little brother, my big brother, was abusive to me. Okay, well, what did he do? You know, for me, it's like when people call and say they had some trouble with the food. I'd say, well, what exactly is trouble? I had some ice cream. Well, could we define some, please? (laughs) Um, Spoon, quart, gallon, just, you know. So... (laughs) I think that level of specificity, spoon, quart, gallon, you know, that, that has helped me. So that's, that's just my take on it.
0: Any more questions? So we have a little bit of time, so we'll have some open sharing. If you've already shared at another workshop, please give others a chance before you come forward. And after you share, you need to sign this release here that allows your voice to be taped. So, who would like to share?
2: Not everybody all at once. They're thinking about lunch. Only 20 minutes.
0: <laughs> so, I, uh, with no sharing, no further questions, we're going to do a group consensus and close this meeting. It is now time to close this workshop. Please join me for a moment of silence followed by the Sarandi Prayer. If you please form a circle.